Well, I'm excited. We're going to finish the, uh, the epistles of Peter. And uh, we're in the second epistle of Peter. And uh, shouldn't be too long, this book. There's only three chapters, so... We, uh, we'll see if we can get done before Christmas. <laughs> I'm kidding. Praise God. Um, how many here were with us for the, uh, for the first epistle study? Amen. Most of you, some of you. All right. So we're carrying on. How are we looking back there on tape, huh? Are we good? All right, good stuff. Um, so for those of you that were with us in the first letter of Peter, you can remember that um, Peter dealt mostly with, you know, the church and persecution and what that would, uh, you know, how that translates in the believer's life, what that does for us, what may seem like a negative thing actually can turn out for our strength. How many know that, uh, you know, when there is persecution in the church, it actually makes the church stronger, amen? Um, It helps us to realize what is important. It helps us come together, helps us put put away petty debates and argument. Um, and, uh, you know, so persecution, although what the devil tries to mean for our harm and our destruction, it actually worked out. Um, it works out for our benefit and it definitely worked out for the early church's benefit. Amen. Um, sometimes the church can get a little comfortable and a little idle and a little stuck in the mud. And that's what was happening in Jerusalem in the early days. Because remember what the Lord told them. He said, you guys need to start at Jerusalem, you know, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, the church kind of got stuck in the mud there at Jerusalem. And the Lord had this, you know, know, there was persecution that rose up on the church. As a matter of fact, um, Andrew was beheaded by King Herod, and um, it really shook the church up. But what it did was it got the church out of its comfort zone, and it got them on the move. Amen? How many know you can't shoot a moving target? At least it ain't easy. You've heard me tell the story before when I was playing uh, my first episode of paintball. Nearly scared the life out of me. I don't know why I was so afraid of those paintball guns. Maybe because when you first started, they stood you up and they, everybody got to take a shot at you so you knew what it felt like. And they sting. So I hid my first round. I was hiding in a big bush, trying to be a sniper, but I was really just afraid. And what had happened was, is when I was hiding, I was getting attacked because I was sitting still. And uh, I was a sitting duck. That's right. I was a sitting duck. And uh, it occurred to me that, you know, in the second round, I'm not going to just sit. I'm going to move. And, you know, you always, how many of you ever watch war films and stuff? Those soldiers, that, that, that squad sergeant or that lieutenant, he's always, move. 
move, soldier, move, soldier, move, soldier. He's always keeping them soldiers on the run. Why? Because you have to run toward the enemy. You have to run and keep moving so that you don't get shot. It's easier to avoid enemy fire when you're moving. And that's what I realized in paintball. And it really preached to me a lot about the kingdom too. You know, when we just sit still and we're idle, um, it, it hurts us individually um, as a church. You know, he wants his church moving, amen? amen? And so sometimes if the church is a little lazy and they're not moving, he will send a persecution. Um, that could have been what we were going through the last 18 months, you know? I tell you what, I never take meeting together with you guys for granted any longer. The 4th of July was so special to me this year. And praise God, can we just put a round of applause to the people that gave us that beautiful dinner last Sunday, amen? Hallelujah. Thank you so much, guys. And it was so good because it was such a special 4th of July to me because I just realized how grateful I am for the freedoms that we have. You know, we've been meeting, we've been assembling ourselves together in this church. And I have friends and family and pastors over in Europe, and they still... They're starting to open up now, but they have been locked away in solitude for, for almost a year and a half. And, um, you know, and praise God, we have our independence here and we have our, the way things are, are, are set up here. So never take it for granted. Amen. All right. Well, so that's first Peter was all about how to endure persecution. Um, which actually strengthens the church. The second epistle that Peter is writing is pretty similar to Paul's letter in 2 Timothy. Paul knew that his day was approaching, that he was going to leave his body and go to be with the Lord. He could feel it coming. And Peter could feel it coming in this letter, in the second epistle. And just like Paul, the thing that Peter warns the most about in this letter is false teachers. Because whereas persecution in the first letter makes the church strong, false teaching is what makes the church weak. Amen? And you can always mark false teaching when there is a real drought of God's word. Amen? We were talking... uh, Brother Mike and I were talking one day and we were just talking about, you know, because sometimes you feel, you know, I don't know, those of you that have ever taken the pulpit before, you, you feel like sometimes there's this pressure to be smarter than you really are. And um, it's, it's the scripture that actually grows the believer. I can give you direction, I can say things that are kind of cool to kind of like give like a little insight or maybe, you know, oh, I never really thought of it like that before. But all that is just kind of, you know, window dressing because the meat is actually in the hearing of the literal scriptures, amen? The literal words, the very words of God is what grows the believer, amen? And... Um, and that, that's why you should never be ashamed if you are asked to teach or preach to 
have the word of God and hide behind it. Never be afraid to read scripture. Never let your intellect say, oh, all you're doing is reading scripture. Hey, if that's all you got, then that's all you need. Amen? And so, if I didn't have anything to say, and those of you that know me pretty well, you know I can talk my way out of a, a paper bag, or I used to talk my way out of a, a lot of fights in school. I was a good negotiator. And, uh, but, you know, that's not what, it, what God, what's really dear to his heart. If you ever were asked to come up here and preach and teach, and all you could do is just read a chapter and then read another chapter and then read another chapter. Don't you ever be ashamed of that. Don't you ever think that you didn't do God a service because Paul actually told his young leader, don't forsake the public reading of the scriptures. Amen? Amen. Don't forsake them. So... And the reason why we have false doctrine in the church or false teachers in the church is because we have a lack of the scriptures being read in the church. And that's what Peter is talking about in this second letter. He's about to go to be with the Lord. He knows his time is near. Um, I think this was what my notes tell me. It was written around somewhere around 66 AD, something like that. If I'm not mistaken. Um, and... Uh, and he was going to, we all know that he was persecuted in the, in the persecutions coming out of Rome. And so he's admonishing the church here in this three chapters to maintain pure doctrine. So chapter one, Simon, Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness." through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. 
Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Praise God. So that's a lot of exhortation by Peter. And like most of the epistles, he always says, a servant and an apostle of Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. It's important that we get our priorities straight. We are first servants unto God. Amen? And if you can serve God, if you can be a servant, if you have a servant's heart, God will give you the gifts of the fivefold ministry. He will impart gifts to those that are servants. Amen? But if you're looking for titles, if you're looking for promotion, if you're looking for a career path, um, you know, that's not a good place to start. There are many people that are in the ministry that should leave it, and there are many people that avoid the ministry that should be in it. Amen? And that's just a fact. And one of the ways you can spot it is through being a servant. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, we know that apostle is a big word that sometimes the circles that I've grown up in church, we kind of are a little bit, we're a little bit hesitant to put the term apostle on an individual. We like to call them missionaries. There are some churches that have no problem giving a pastor the title of apostle. But there's a big difference between an apostle and a pastor. Um, The greatest way that I like to think of an apostle is if you look at your hand and you've got five fingers on your hand and you've got the fivefold gifts of the ministry according to Ephesians. You have apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist, right? Now, the good way to think about the apostle is, is the apostle is someone who can touch each one of those gifts. The apostle will prophesy. He will, he will, what, he will pastor, he will teach, and he will evangelize. When you're a missionary and you go into a place and you tear up ground and you're breaking new ground for the kingdom, you know, you better be able to do those things. You need to know how to work in all five of those aspects of the ministry, amen? So that's the way I like to think of an apostle is somebody that goes out and, um, and plants, praise the Lord. Um, you know, in the 70s, they called them pioneers. Uh, there was this great song called Pioneer. You remember that song, Barry Pioneer? Uh, doesn't ring a bell. Barry's he knows he knows all them Jesus songs from the seventies, but um, Pioneer was a beautiful song. So Peter was an apostle, and he's saying here of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith, like precious faith. Well, when I see that, 
that you should see your name right there. How many have received faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? Everyone here has received faith to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That faith, according to Paul's gospel, that faith that you, that you, you have, it was given to you. It was given to you by God, right? And that faith was given to you by God in a measure, and you, through faith, believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't see him die on that cross. You didn't see that empty tomb. But when somebody told you that it happened, there was a measure of faith in you that believed that message. And when you believed it, you were born again. So we received like precious faith. And so Peter is writing to us here. We can receive this. Where in the first letter, he, he specifically, although we can learn from it and we can you know, see what he was talking about, he actually particularly named a group of people in Babylon that he was speaking to. But he doesn't say that here. It's almost like he's, it's like a general epistle to all the believers now. He knows he's going to be with the Lord. He's speaking to the whole church. And he says, to them who had received like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right? Everybody say righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is an important, it's a fundamental truth that every believer should have. Most of you already know this, but I know that we have some new believers in here tonight. And I want to just remind you of these things about how the, about the righteousness of God and how it pertains to us as a believer. Amen? So would you first go with me, if you would, to Isaiah chapter 53? And we're going to dive into this concept of the righteousness of God for a minute. Isaiah 53 and verse 10 is where we'll be. And say amen when you get there. Isaiah 53, verse 10. And um, Isaiah 53, verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul a what? An offering for sin. And he shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So this is a prophecy about Jesus, about what was happening when Jesus went to the cross all right? It says he was made a what? An offering for sin. That's what Jesus, when he hung on that cross, when God saw that, it, he saw that as an offering for the sins of the world. John the Baptist declared, behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Every time we sing that song, Rise, I love that song, but I kind of hiccup a little bit when we, re, when we sing the word, He covereth. 
Because in the Old Testament, the Lord covered sin. In the New Testament, he takes away sin. Amen? It's a cute song. I wish they would have said take it instead of cover. But I didn't write it. But just remember, he takes away sin. Your sin is removed. It's not covered. Amen? Bulls, lambs, pigeons, turtle doves, they cover sin. But the blood of Jesus is much more precious. It removes sin. Praise God. Hallelujah. Now go with me over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're dwelling on the righteousness of God for a minute here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Say amen when you're there. And look at the very last verse, verse 21. This verse ought to be underlined in every believer's Bible. Circle's good enough. For he hath made him to be what? Sin for us. Isn't that what just Isaiah just told us in 53? He hath made him to be sin for us who what? Knew no sin. So he who knew no sin was made sin. Okay? That's why it is a perfect sacrifice. Because Jesus did, when he hung on that cross, he did not hang on the cross for something that he deserved. Okay? And that's what um, Pastor Lonnie did a great teaching on the difference between mercy and grace. Sometimes we get those words muddled up. All right? Um, And mercy is the act of God by you not getting what you deserve. All right? Mercy is getting what you don't deserve. Grace, no, not getting what you deserve. Excuse me. That's what mercy is. Mercy is not getting what you deserve And grace is getting what you don't deserve. Praise God. And so he knew no sin that we might be made the what? Of God in him. So according to this verse, what are you? The righteousness of God. We are the righteousness of God. When God sees you, he sees his righteousness, okay? And what makes great relationships is when we look at each other, we see God's righteousness. But sometimes that's hard to do. You know why that's so difficult to do? Because we don't see ourselves as the righteousness of God. But when we realize that God is not angry with us, Because his anger has been appeased by a sinless man dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Amen? Amen. So he became a sin offering for us that we may be made the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. 
Praise God. One more verse on that subject. Go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 24. Now, did I deserve the righteousness of God? No. It was imparted to me, right? Now, look at verse 24 of chapter 2. 1 Peter 2.24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you are healed, will be healed, were healed. Past tense. Where were you healed? Calvary. All right? So your healing for your body was taken care of at Calvary 2,000 years ago. The same way your sin was taken care of at Calvary 2,000 years ago. I didn't deserve the righteousness of God, and my life did not deserve a healed body. But you know what? It ain't about what I get based on what I do. It's about what I receive based on what he did. Amen? So we receive the forgiveness of sins. We receive the healing for our bodies. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And there's one more that everybody knows this scripture. Psalms 103. These are some powerful verses I'm giving you tonight. Psalm 103. Look at that. Say amen when you're there. Give me a minute. All right, look at this. I love, this is one of my favorite Psalms. Verse one, look at this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. All right, now you ready? Here comes the the born-again believer's benefit package. All right? Here's the benefit package, you know. When you go to a new job and you're like, what are my benefits? I get a 401? I get some uh, stock shares? Do I get, you know, two weeks holiday? Praise God, the believer, man. Here's the benefit package from the Lord. He forgives all your iniquities. <laughs> And he heals all your diseases, man. You see, and I like the three-letter word there, all. Because I know that he has forgiven all my sins, and it's just as easy as he's forgiven all my sins, he heals all my diseases. Amen? We learned a couple Sundays ago, the Lord never separates them two. It's just as easy for Jesus to heal disease as it is to forgive sin. And it's just as easy to receive it. 
The same way you receive forgiveness of sin is the same way you receive healing for your body. He redeems thy life from what? Destruction. And he crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies thy mouth with good things so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. Praise God. Amen. That is the benefit package. Those of you that feel like your life is slipping, that you don't have, that someone's lied to you and said that, you know, God doesn't use anybody over 60, hogwash. The benefit package of the Lord, Psalm 103 says, your life will be renewed like the eagles. Amen? And that's interesting that he says that your, your life will be renewed like the eagles. Because there's a, there's a, a, a study that the eagle is the longest living fowl on the earth. It's the longest living bird on the earth. They say an eagle lives like almost the same lifespan as a human being, about 70 years. Amen? And when that eagle is about middle age, he has to make a decision to go through a transformation to carry on living. And he goes up to this high mountain and he begins to beat his beak against the rock because his beak has become so long he cannot use it anymore. So he has to literally get the beak trimmed down by banging it up against the rock. And the other thing, because he's so old, his claws are so long that he can't hardly even walk, can't hardly even move. And he's got to cut his, he's got to, you know, bite his claws down, but he can't because his beak's so long. So he bashes his beak down to where it's trim again, and then he's able to trim his claws with his beak. And the other thing is he can't hardly fly because there's so much feathers and molt in his, in his coat that he, it needs to be, you know, groomed. And he can't do it because his, his, his claws were too long. So once he gets his claws, you know, sh shortened and sharpened, he's able then to pull all that muck out of his feathers and clean his feathers off and, and make him, give himself the ability to soar again. And so there is this transformation that happens to this eagle, but it's a decision that he has to make. And he has to determine that I will live. You know, and believers, they get to a stage where they think they're useless, that they're no good anymore. But they need to make a determination that says, I will live and serve the Lord. I will be useful. I will do great, mighty things for the Lord. And so, but it takes a decision. You gotta, there are things you need to cut away. There are things you need to clean up. There are things you need to sharpen. Praise God. And that's, when I saw that, it reminded me of that story that he will renew them like the eagle. Praise God. All right, let's go back to our text in First, Second Peter. So, 
The righteousness of God. Now, verse 2 says, Now grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, how many know that you cannot have the peace of God until you have the grace of God? And you cannot have the grace of God or his peace without a knowledge of who he is. Amen? Grace and peace come in multiplication through the knowledge of God. All right? You want grace? You want peace? It must come through your knowledge of God. It must come through your relationship with Jesus our Lord. There's no better way to get the knowledge of God than to do what we're doing right now and sit under his word. Amen? That's how grace and peace comes, through the knowledge of God. Now look at verse 3. According as his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Who's given the things? God has given the things. And how, what was the method of the things that were given to us? Divine power. Not your power. Divine power. Power from on high by the Holy Ghost, amen? The believer must be born again, and the believer must be filled with the Holy Spirit, amen? The believer must have the power of God through the Holy Spirit in his life if he's to have the things that pertain to life and godliness. If you want real abundant life, if we're to have true godliness, it must come through divine power. It can't come by doing a list of good chores, praise God. You know, good chores, good works do not give you life and godliness. Divine power gives you the things that pertain unto life and godliness. And when you have divine power, and you have life, and you have godliness, then you move into good works. And those are good works that are effective. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, it says, through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. He's called us to glory. He's called us to virtue. I'm going to glory. And to glory. And to glory. Amen? Amen. The believer here on this earth right now in this room, all of us together, it is the Lord's pleasure. It brings him pleasure when we go from glory to glory to glory. Amen? Praise God, from glory to glory to glory. Now, some people like to take that as like the doctrine of uh, salvation, you know, from glory, our justification, to glory, our sanctification, to glory, our glorification, when we receive our new body at the coming of the Lord. The Lord wants us to advance in our experience, 
with him and our knowledge of him and our relationship with him and our power with him. He does not want us going backwards. Amen. We all know those of you that have done anything for the military or you've done anything in business strategy. If you are sitting still, you're going backwards. Amen. If you're sitting still, you're going backwards. You've got to always be moving in the things of God. You cannot take a break and say, well, you know, I've come this far with the Lord. I think I'm going to take it easy for a, you know, I'm going to take a sabbatical and, you know, just, you know, go on holiday and, you know, just kind of, you know, hang out with my friends and have a few glasses of wine and go to the disco and I'll pick it back up when I get. You can't do that. That's ridiculous. Why would anybody even want to think like that? When he's given us such precious things that pertain to life and godliness. I don't know about you, but if I ever went out to the disco and had a wine cooler, I'd be a miserable person. I would have the worst time ever. Because though once you've experienced heaven, you just don't, those things just don't appeal anymore. Amen? Praise God. Now, verse 4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Everybody say exceeding. Exceeding Exceeding meaning more than what we expected, blowing your mind, precious and great promises. See, we all think, Praise God, I've got a promise when I'm saved and when Jesus comes, I'm going to heaven. We are going to heaven, okay? Heaven is part of the package. But heaven is not a heaven like a place where we're going to stay. Heaven, when we, the body, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, this thing's giving me fits tonight. And... When Jesus comes back for his bride, for his church, he's going to take us up with him. And we're going to have the marriage supper of the lamb. And after the tribulation, he is going to come with his church and redeem Israel. All right? And God, through his son, is going to set up the kingdom that he promised to David for a thousand years on this earth. Guess what? If it survives in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, there's going to be a Cincinnati, Ohio. Can you believe that? There's actually going to be, we'll put it this way. I don't know the future and I don't even know what, what will, but I know there'll be an Ohio River. Okay. There, the, the, the earth as we know it is the same in the thousand year reign. Okay. And some of these promises and these exceeding great precious promises, we just think, well, they're just, you know, when we, when we get to heaven. No, the Bible says for those that are faithful and true to Jesus Christ, we are going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years here on earth. Okay? And some of those promises that we're given, we're going to see what it actually looks like when a righteous king rules earth. Hallelujah. How great is that going to be? We're actually going to see what a righteous rule looks like. We're going to actually see what peace looks like. 
The same kind of peace that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. We're going to see what supernatural provision looks like. We experience that here. But we're going to see what I mean by that is we're going to see what it's like when all of the wealth of the earth is distributed in a way where there is no poverty and no sickness. When Jesus Christ reigns here on earth, we're going to be given areas of rulership like Daniel was given areas of rulership when he was the... uh, Servant for Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. We will have, see, we're not just, it's not just I'm getting saved so I can escape hell and somehow go sit on a cloud in heaven somewhere and play a harp. We're saved more. Our salvation is more powerful than that. It has greater precious promises than just escaping hell. Okay? And that's just the first part. That's just for a thousand years. And then we're going to witness the stupidest people on planet Earth. You ever watch those videos where it shows what dumb people do? We're going to get to watch the dumbest people on planet Earth. Because they have been living the best years of their life for a thousand years. And all of a sudden, the Satan, that devil, that dragon is going to be let out of the pit. And he's going to come back on earth and he's going to convince the, some of the people that they will have it better if they follow him. And like dumb people do, they're going to listen to him. Praise God, just like I used to listen to the devil when I was dumb. But praise God. Jesus had mercy on me and gave me a measure of faith to believe the gospel, which changed my life, changed the way I think, amen, changed the way you think. And we're going to witness these people, and they're actually going to fall for this con again. Ridiculous. Well, anyway, and one of these things it says here is that these great and precious promises that by these ye might be what? Partakers of the divine nature. Remember when it said, we are the righteousness of God? Okay. You are partakers of a divine nature when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're not just some, you know, and you're not, you didn't join a religious group. Okay, you didn't join, you know, some kind of a club. Okay, the power of the gospel, when it says the divine power has given us things, that Holy Spirit that came upon you and went in you has given you the divine nature, that God's very nature dwells in each one of you and in me. That is a hard thing for some people to grasp. Ooh, are you saying we're gods? Sons of God. The Bible translation there, it says, 
What is man that thou art mindful of him, that he has made him a little lower than the angels? The actual translation there is Elohim. They couldn't, the King James translators couldn't handle, they couldn't handle putting what is man that he's made him a little lower than God. You see, the order of creation is God, man, angels. That's why God hates it when people start serving angels and replace the Holy Spirit and start saying that the angels are are this, and they put more emphasis on angel power than they do Holy Ghost power, okay? You can't do that, okay? Jesus said that, that, you know what? uh, The Holy Spirit is like your attorney, He's like your counselor. If you were going to war, you'd get the smartest men in the room, and and you would devise a plan on how to attack this enemy, okay? And the Holy Spirit is like one of those generals that will come alongside of you and help you formulate a plan. And while you're formulating a plan, a servant comes in with a tray of iced tea. The Holy Spirit is the general The angel is the servant bringing in the iced tea. You understand? Paul said that the angels are ministering servants to the believer. When you are on a divine mission for God, the Holy Spirit is like the servants that go out and make sure that you're going to be okay. All right? But the power that you have to do that job is not the angel's power. The power that you have to do that job is the divine power that is given unto you on the inside of you through the power of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. So, you know, the people have gotten off into this angel thing and they've really missed it big time. You know, people are, you know, I, I don't, I like it when people see angels. Okay, but you know what? If people tell me that there's an angel present and I don't feel the Holy Spirit present, I'm not having a good service. Because I want the Holy Ghost. Amen. I need the Holy Ghost. That's why Jesus' blood was poured out, that you may receive the Holy Ghost. All right. I think I'm going to stop right there. I stopped at verse (laughs) 4. That's our little introduction today. All right? So we got to verse 4. Remember that he has given us exceeding great and precious promises. Praise God. Praise God.